Welcome to episode 170, Integrative Treatments for Improving Mental Health, Including Legal and Ethical Considerations, featuring Dr. Roseanne Capanna-Hodge. Make sure to subscribe to be alerted about future episodes by Clearly Clinical. Learn, grow, shine. to our listeners. My name is Beth Irias, and I am delighted to be joined again by my dear colleague, Dr. Roseanne Capanna-Hodge. She is uh, the founder of the Global Institute of Children's Mental Health. She's been on our podcast before talking about PANS, PANDAS, neurofeedback, and I'm delighted to have her back here today to talk with us about some integrative and complementary approaches to mental health outside of therapy. So thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Roseanne. I'm delighted to have you. Well, I am truly feel humbled and what a pleasure to always talk to you and create a, a ripple effect in the world of mental health by all of these people that are listening and really trying to open their mind to better supporting clients in this world that we live in that people are very stressed. So thank you for this uh, amazing opportunity again. My pleasure. So before we dive into some natural and integrative or alternative solutions um, to mental health struggles. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about you and about your work and how you came to dabble and become experienced in these things outside of just quote unquote therapy? Yeah. So this is now my 31st year in mental health. And I am just to know I'm a licensed professional counselor. I have my doctorate in ed psych. I am a certified school psych. I'm also board certified neurofeedback. I'm also certified in a couple of integrative certifications, right, that allow me to do integrative work. So I have always incorporated as a classically trained, you know, therapist and psychologist, I've always incorporated what I was taught, right, about, you know, everything from Freudian therapy and Rogerian therapy and Gestalt therapy and all the different things that that we learned along the way, you know, integrated family systems. But right out of the gate, I always incorporated integrative therapies. And for me, it, it started with lifestyle components and exercise and food. Um, you know, we, we know, we'll get into it, you know, what you eat impacts your brain. It's not rocket science. <laughs> um, and, you know, I also work with children and their families. And, and during this 30 years, there's just been an explosion in children, mental health issues, autism. You know, you heard me talk about the pans, pans and pandas. If you haven't listened to that episode, please do. And, you know, I had to do more than just talk therapy because the children that I was working with, you know, of course, you know, some children had trauma, many don't, didn't. We're talking about really dysregulated nervous systems and behaviors, and they weren't cognitively available even at times to do play therapy, certainly not cognitive behavioral work. And we're talking children of all ages. And so, you know, it really set me, you know, set me to look in the the basement of the library and the microfiche and really do a lot of research about what could help these children regulate. And so I then just dug deeper and deeper and deeper into integrative therapies beyond lifestyle, doing brain-based um, technologies like neurofeedback and biofeedback and PMF. And they've just always been a part of what I've done for 30 years. And, you know, Many children I've worked with have really 
learn to regulate their brain, body, and behavior and go on to live exceptional lives. And I don't believe in my case and the cases that I work with, which are very complex, these children would have achieved that. So it's been an amazing asset for me in being able to, what therapist doesn't want to help their clients live fulfilling, happy lives. Um, and I feel really grateful that I have gone to that and just deepened that and also uh, continue to train others about it. Well, thank you for your work and for sharing the information with us. You mentioned during your intro about regulating the nervous system. Can you do a very quick kind of nervous system 101 for our listeners and explain kind of the framework of why why this is complementary to our therapeutic work? So these things that clients could be doing either in addition to or uh, integrated within therapy. Yeah. So, you know, in mental health, right, we often think before I do autonomic nervous system 101, which I can give you a really quick one that will be great, you know, we have to understand what causes um, mental health issues. And so we're often trained that it's neurotransmitter only. That is not the case. And two other components are a dysregulated nervous system, uh, which causes, we're going to get into it to get into a sympathetic dominant state, but also inflammation. And stress can affect all three. And so our autonomic nervous system is our stress response system. And if you can visualize, if you're listening, that, you know, at the bottom, if you, you know, I have my hands uh, where there's probably 12 inches away from each other. And at the bottom, our nervous system in a relaxed state is in a parasympathetic state. When we experience a stressor, you're going to go from, if you have a normal healthy system, a relaxed parasympathetic state into a sympathetic dominant state. And you're going to experience, you know, some type of uh, stress impact, ooh, heart, racing heart, you know, uh, sweating, you know, chest pain. And, you know, we experience it like in everyday situations where, you know, all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I am going to run out of gas on the highway and you get this feeling and then all of a sudden your logical brain is like, I can get off this exit, right? And then it goes back down to a regulated state. What is happening and what happens, for example, I had somebody today who, uh, a young girl who's had anxiety her whole entire life. So when I brain mapped her and I'm able to see what is going on in her brain, you don't need to have a brain map. You can listen. For stress activation, she literally is I so activated. She lives at the tippy top in a sympathetic dominant state, and she is either in constantly either near fight, flight, or freeze, or in fight, flight, or freeze. So our autonomic nervous system is a normal part of what we're supposed to do, but what's happening is people live in stress activation. And that stress activation can show itself in internalizing symptoms, right? Like anxiety, intrusive thoughts, um, withdrawn, being shut down and fatigued, or externalizers, right? Punching walls, yelling, agitation. And it's all about a dysregulated nervous system. And we really, really need to support our clients in regulating their nervous system. And the cognitive pathways that talk therapy do, you know, works from, right? Accessing your conscious state 
Yes, it works when the brain is regulated. When the brain is dysregulated, we all have worked with clients where we're like, wow, they are so anxious or triggered or activated, whatever is the driver, that they can't process, right? It's like there is a wall. And once the nervous system is regulated, not perfect, but in a state where there's some wiggle room for them to actually, you know, experience a little activation in therapy, right? We're teaching them how to cope, we're exposing, we're able to get much further with our clients. I think that's the part where, you know, I, I said I started with these kids that I, I couldn't get anywhere. And I was like, I need to get into their brain. I need to give them the tools. And that's where these integrative tools can really support calming the nervous system to allow the therapy to work in a much different way. Wonderful. Can you explain a little bit about the use of the word integrative? That word has really exploded in the last decade. Can you kind of define it and explain what that really means for our listeners who may not be as familiar with that term? Yeah. And you know, you know, whether using complementary therapies, right? There, you know, there's a lot of research about CAM, um, complementary, you know, alternative medicine, uh, integrative therapies, holistic alternative therapies. Integrative really says it's, we're integrating the best of the West, the West and the East in so many ways, but you are integrating science back tools. To me, that's what integrative means. We are using things that we can integrate that, yes, we're not abandoning what we know that works, right? Like, what is the standard of mental health? The standard of mental health should be therapy first and pills later. It's pills first and then therapy now. For a lot of people, we don't need to get into that. But the, the what is working, what does the evidence show us works, for example, you know, with OCD, right? It says that cognitive behavioral, exposure and response prevention um, are really, really important in getting somebody to learn how to take control of their OCD brain. And then integrating things that help support the nervous system. That really, in in terms of integrative mental health, that's what we're doing. Integrative health is larger. And those same lifestyle components, exercise, diet, sleep, things that we can talk about, they support a whole person, both physically and mentally. That's what integrative is about taking what we know to work and, and utilizing it. So it's really, it sounds like taking wisdom from all different sources instead of just from talk therapy or just from medication. And you and I have talked in past conversations about the use of various supplements or things like neurofeedback, and, and you're kind of going to do a, a shallow dive over some of these ideas. Before we dive into that, One thing I want to ask you, and we talked about this previously, when it comes to integrative therapies, sometimes clinicians can feel uncomfortable where it's like, for example, you were talking about OCD. So if we're looking at OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, which can sometimes include body focused repetitive behaviors, BFRBs, really commonly a supplement that's used is something called NAC, N-acetylcysteine. And that is not something that we can 
recommend. That's not something that many of us for our licenses can prescribe because we don't have that ability. But can you speak to the idea of clinicians being scared about like bringing these things up in therapy? So if we're working with somebody who has body-focused repetitive behaviors, is it okay for clinicians to say, hey, there's a supplement called NAC that's really commonly used. Talk to your doctor about it. Can you address that concern? Because I know sometimes clinicians feel like I'm wading into an area that is outside my lane. Yeah, I mean, and a valid concern, right? So, you know, um, a lot of time, I very much believe that when we are working with certain populations, right, we really should dive deep. We should look at what are, what is a research site? What is the integrative components? What are traditional components? And then the next part of that is to get training. And so, you know, there's two parts to this. Can you recommend things, right? Can you recommend, hey, there's this there's this lady called Dr. Roseanne and she's got all these blogs about supplements for mental health. Why don't you get on our website and look at that? So there's general recommendations and certainly you always have, just like all my blogs, it's, you want to say, I want you to check with your doctor, right? This is important to check with your doctor. So we can make general recommendations and we could feel good about it. We recommend books, we recommend other types of therapy that maybe we don't know enough about. Um, and we do that all the time. And you really want to say, I am not an expert in this, but this is a great place for you to go or recommending uh, a naturopathic physician if you believe that um, or a functional physician, right? So naturopathic physicians uh, are not licensed in every state, but they have training in how to use, you know, in integrative tools like herbs and um, different supplements, and they know exactly how it impacts health. They do physician rotations. I mean, they're really highly trained um, in a lot of tools. So you can recommend to somebody like that, and I, and I say this all the time, I recommend finding and aligning yourself with a practitioner. The other side of this is you can do what I have done. So my state allows me to make recommendations when I've done training so I do recommend supplements, right? Um, and I recommend a lot of different techniques. But I then went to the next level and got multiple certifications, right? And in those certifications, I have to do continuing education in order to maintain them, right? So I really have like literally 30 years of experience and training and supplements, have done a lot of courses and whatnot. And I still like to check with their doctor and say, this is what you should do. Are there certain supplements that are essentially like not going to harm you? Sure. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I think everybody should take magnesium. What is it? The worst it's going to do is going to, you take it till bowel tolerance, meaning it could cause some loose stools. But you know, certain conditions you want to, oh, you're on this medication. Nope. Sorry. Not going to recommend that. You need to talk to your psychiatrist. Do you want me to email them? You know, so, so saying I'm making general recommendations, of course we do it all the time. And sometimes people get very upset. Like if you're making a recommendation, oh, what this essential oil, you know, essential oil that you're putting in the air is not going to harm somebody. So we need to open our minds because somehow, you know, we receive very little training in psychopharm, but we feel very confident recommending, you know, a Xanax to somebody. But then, asking them to take magnesium or giving them an article about it. So one of the ways you can do this is you can have literature 
in your office and people can read it. So I have lots of patient literature in my office, not making the recommendation, but if you also want to make a recommendation, you have to do what you feel comfortable with, but I definitely recommend training. Um, You can't go wrong with training and it's going to support you and, you know, you're able to make a larger impact and these tools are highly efficacious. Thank you for that. I appreciate that little ethical jaunt. Um, you bring up a good point that it depends on each of our individual state license definitions and requirements. So in certain states, um, marriage and family therapists or clinical counselors can do quote unquote psych testing. In some states, they can't. It just depends That's right. on and same with diagnosis. So I think for our listeners, it depends on what your particular state permits or restricts. And then also, as Dr. Roseanne said, the idea that we're okay, oftentimes, like we, most of us had some kind of psychopharm class and do continuing education in psychopharm, but we're not prescribing Lexapro, but we can maybe answer some questions of, oh yeah, it might take a number of months for you to really see the effect. And sometimes people have side effects and then they fall away. And then we say, make sure to talk to your doctor about it. Um, so thank you for covering that piece, because I think sometimes when it comes to this integrative stuff, we get scared where it's like, we, we don't want to go into somebody else's lane. Um, and I appreciate your guidance and making sure that you know what your state requirements are. And also referring back to an MD when it's out of your scope. So knowing that you're appropriately educated on recommendation or appropriateness of recommendation, something like magnesium. So thank you for that. Um, on that note, let's dive right on in and talk to me about some of these complementary resources to improve everybody's or particular folks' mental health. Yeah. I mean, I think the first one is probably the easiest one and not one that people resist, sleep. So, you know, many of the adults and children we work with are not getting an adequate enough sleep or um, deep enough restful sleep to support brain health. So, just to really get yourself educated about what's called sleep hygiene is what they call it, right? So sleep hygiene uh, sounds so weird, but it's really how do you sleep? And, you know, having a resource like I have, you know, in my book, but, but you know, I have a handout that's like, here, t- here are t- 12 things to help you sleep better, right? And opening those conversations and, you know, I, I can't even tell you how many of my friends that are MDs that got involved in functional medicine because they had their own anxiety. And then somebody said like, oh, did you know if you did X, Y, and Z, you'll feel better? So educating and then also asking your clients to report on their sleep, right? So, you know, hey, we made an agreement that you're going to come off your devices one hour before, you're going to wear blue blocker glasses, you know, how many days of the of this week were you able to do that? Whatever it is, I'm huge into data collection and uh, asking clients to report because it holds them accountable. And it's not just about that one hour. I like to give my clients homework and they like homework, even if they get angry if I give them tough homework. But they like it, right? So I think starting with something that, you know, is easy enough for people to accept, whereas, you know, one of the biggest impacts that can happen with mental health can be diet and making dietary changes. I'm not asking you to be a dietitian. This then falls back into the, the, you know, 
can I recommend this? Can I not recommend this? So you can start with literature about, you know, what is, you know, one of the best, most well-researched diets for brain health, for mental health, and also preventing dementia and chronic illnesses is an anti-inflammatory diet. What's an example of an anti-inflammatory diet? A Mediterranean diet. So, you know, it's broad. I educate every single person that comes to me about an anti-inflammatory diet and I have basic information and all I say is reducing and uh, these things and increasing these things is equated with be- better mental health. I'm not prescribing a diet. It's broad. It's general. And guess what? It has the research to substantiate it. And people often a lot of times, um, like one of my best friends is Cynthia Thurlow and she uh, has a 13 million viewed TED talk on intermittent fasting. So a lot of people want to come in and be like, should I intermittent fast? Should I do the GAPS diet? And I'm like, I'm not going there. Like I am, I have a lot of training in diet, but the research says it's, it's anti-inflammatory. And I feel like when people are in a mental health crisis, part of our job is help them simplify, right? Not, not make them feel like, oh, I just threw them in the deep end you know, and now I got to swim. So, um, and, and when I talk about diet, they're like, oh, should I get rid of everything? No. You say, you know, I educate about swap outs. And again, you may be like, Roseanne, I don't even know what you're talking about swap outs. This is where you can do training. There's so many things out and, you know, you know, there's different trainings. There's trainings like this. This is an introduction and people hopefully are like, well, what does she mean? You can get functional health coach certifications. There's great programs out there. Um, you can do Amen Clinic has a certification. There's lots of places that have really, really good certifications. That's a very in-depth program that takes like months to go through, by the way. Um, and sometimes they're special. Some of these uh, programs and trainings can be quite expensive, several thousand dollars. Some of them can be a few hundred dollars and have more of a surface level. And and that might all be all that you need, right? Um, and there's, again, in the time of the pandemic, a ton of courses. But an anti-inflammatory diet is a diet just like what you think, right? Low inflammatory foods, right? So you're going to have less sugar, you're going to have less wheat, less dairy, and you're going to really amplify the things that are proven to enhance the brain. So that's fats, which healthy fats, most people are surprised by that. Like, what do you mean? Um, you won't gain weight if you lose, if you get rid of the sugars and the the unhealthy carbs, right? Not all carbs are unhealthy, but like the junk stuff. And really increasing and having consistent protein, fruits and vegetables, nutrient-dense foods. Um, and I think it's hard for anybody to deny when you kind of do like you know, as an adult, if you're like doing a 30 day cleanse or you're doing something where you're trying to eat better, you feel better. You have mentioned a word that you and I have talked about before. And for our listeners, I really encourage you um, to listen to some of Dr. Roseanne's other interviews that she's done with us. You mentioned inflammation. Can you talk for a minute about the impact of inflammation on mental health? This is gaining so much traction. If you could spend a little bit of time talking about what we've learned about, say, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors and the impact on inflammation, like it's mind blowing. But if you could spend a moment on that and talk about why inflammation is part of the mental health equation, that would be great. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, um, not to get morbid, but, you know, there are, you know, inflammation we know impacts mental health. Okay. And one of the ways that we know it impacts mental health is through postmortem studies. And, you know, they have found that I think it's about 76% of individuals with autism have massive brain inflammation. Um, and so that's no surprise to me. And I do QEGs, you can see the inflammation. So inflammation can affect mental health. It can cause neurocognitive issues like attention issues. It can cause um, learning and processing. It can, it can affect how you think, but it also can really cause anxiety, depression. And we are learning more and more about this. And, you know, it's not all about the, you know, having to address the neuro, the neurotransmitters. And, you know, you mentioned SSRIs. And so, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of people who come to me, so I'm giving anecdotal information, but, but we do have research about SSRIs and how it impacts gut health. And let me explain that to you because there's an inflammatory response that happens. But sometimes people take SSRIs or other psychiatric medications and they feel better then there becomes this sort of plateau and a worsening. And one of the reasons why that occurs is SSRIs in particular disrupt the bacterial balance of the gut. And, you know, you're taking this to improve neurotransmitters and SSRI for anxiety or depression. And what is created in the gut? Serotonin. And so we have to say at what expense. A lot of every side effect every medication will have a side effect, 100% of psychiatric. And it may be mild, it may be serious, but then the, the benefits outweigh the negatives, right? And everyone's got to make that decision for themselves and you have to honor where people are at. But we also have to look at if you have an in, if you don't have balance in your gut, it's even more than just that neurotransmitter. Then we have increased inflammatory responses. And there's just so many ways that we are having things that are impacting our system and causing inflammation. So, so food, stress, your gut microbiome, your lack of sleep. 90% of brain detoxification occurs when you sleep. (laughs) Um, And we have a lot of people with disrupted sleep. So inflammation as a source and infectious disease and other components can cause inflammation. And we, we have to, what I love about integrative practices, it's a focus on lifestyle as well as taking supplements and things like that. And we need to do more to reduce inflammation. And I think when people sort of embrace this and I, and I hope people are listening and thinking, yeah, you know, I've been doing that for myself and I notice a difference, right? Um, I, I know that, you know, uh, certainly I started working with kids long before I had my own kids. But when you share some of your own wins in a very appropriate therapist way, you know, it's it's really validating for somebody who's on a journey to better themselves. And, you know, when people experience long-term anxiety, depression, OCD, any of these things, such a sense of hopelessness. And the integrative pieces become something that you are natural solutions that really can be part of somebody's life that can empower 
empower them in such a powerful way to feel in control instead of those issues being in control. Um, and, you know, lowering inflammation can be quite dramatic. And some people in a very short amount of time can feel different. And some people, it's a long-term process where they really have to make a concerted effort with a lot of modalities to help support reducing that inflammatory response, which is contributing to their mental health. I really appreciate the point that you just made about the contribution of inflammation to mental health symptoms, because for clients that have chronic mental health issues, they may have tried CBT and DBT, and they went to a residential program, and they've tried every every different type of medication out there times 10. I think we've all met those kind of clients and they're so discouraged and they're so burned out. And I appreciate what you're saying, which is when we bring in these integrative approaches, we can crack this nut many different ways and and we should explore them. Um, and you and I have talked about this outside of this interview, but the impact of... Um, goodness, I'm thinking vitamin deficiencies, the impact of uh, co-infections like strep. I mean, strep, particularly in relation to pans, pandas, for example. But so these these illnesses or nutrient deficiencies, conditions, autoimmunity that are contributing to folks' mental health, health symptoms and can do it for years and years and years. And the importance of, as you said, working alongside a practitioner who can investigate and treat those. That's also been my experience. It's been so helpful to have physicians that I say, you know, the symptoms you're talking about sure sound like they're medical, like that thing that's happening with your nails or with your hair or the thing with your teeth or whatever it is, like that rash. I really think you should see a doctor and here's some of the things that maybe you should look into. I think that's one of the things that's really easy for us to glaze over that we like see things as mental health instead of the relationship between mind and body. So I appreciate what you're saying is bring that element back in of like, let's talk about your sleep. Let's talk about your diet. Let's get you to a doctor to test for all of this stuff because it could be an iron deficiency that's making you feel lightheaded and anxious. Um, and I just saw your face. So Absolutely. will you speak to that? Because I think it's yeah. easy for us to forget <laughs> no, that part. I mean, it could it, it, it is, you know, today I had, you know, I, I work with people all over the world and, and I had somebody who came in yesterday, um, and then left. And so I did an intake with them and, you know, and they're, there's somebody has pants and, uh, you know, and it, it's a complex case. And please know, whenever I talk about cases, I protect the people and you're, you're, I mix cases so people, you know, will have their privacy. And so, when this person came to me, the bottom line was lots of anxiety, all these things, but they they are not addressing the physical part. So yes, I'm going to support their nervous system. Yes, I'm going to do that. So they weren't doing the right treatment. So I was like, hey, listen, here's the deal. You know, in order to work with me, we need the right treatment. And so let me talk to your doctor because you feel that they can do these these herbals, right? And and I was like, you're at the point where you've been doing antibiotics for three years. It's not working, right? We need something else. It's not working. And so she was like, I got it. Okay, we're going to do it. So, you know, here I am speaking up to that and recognizing, right, of course the mind and body are connected. Like, 
who, when's the last time you got sick? I mean, we're all sick. We all get colds and stuff now and our brains don't work, you know? So that's a really easy example, but we forget. And I think so many people get signed, sort of shoved to us in the mental health work world. If you listen to the PANS episode, we are frontline workers. And many of our people have medical issues and wind up on our door because they don't know how to fix it. And then they say it's mental. Right. And, um, you know, I could tell you story after story. I had this poor woman one time and she fell down in a grocery store parking lot and didn't hit her head. And so they said it's not a concussion. And she quickly destabilized. I mean, in a matter of two weeks, she was literally could barely walk. So she she had brought her kids to me years before and said, hey, can you help me? And I was like, get in here. And she was a shell of her former self. They literally were didn't know what to do with her. And they said, by the end of the month, we're going to have to put her in some type of like rehab center because she could barely walk. Of course, it was a concussion. And how dare these people not know that you don't have to actually hit your head to have a concussion. It's, it's a sudden acceleration and deacceleration. But they then were telling her it was a trauma response to a friend who died. It wasn't the case. I got her up and walking and without a cane in 16 sessions of neurofeedback. Um, and we got her to some help. For, for she went to PT, we did all of that. But that's such a great example of somebody who like could have, she called me and I could have been like, well, yeah, it is a trauma response. And we're ignoring the physical. And she probably literally would have ended, ended up in a nursing home for the rest of her life. She was that impacted. I mean, she couldn't even, this was painful. When I talk with her, if I move my hands too much, it would trigger almost like a seizure. And so I have to, you know, I'm Italian. If you're listening to me, I can't talk without my hands, literally. So I had to sit with my hands and every once in a while I'd see her turn her head. And I was like, I got my hands up, don't I? So um, we can't disconnect that. And it is, I believe, our responsibility in a, in a world where everyone seems to have physical issues. You know, 50% of children have a physical or mental health issue. That's 11, 12-year-old data now. And we need to make sure that we're it, we're not medical providers, but we have to align ourselves with people that are investigative and not willing to say, well, I don't know. You know, and I kind of became who I am because I was like, oh, I'll be darned if I'm going to see a seven-year-old and they're not going to get better. Like, what? You know what I mean? Like, we're this jaded. We're like, sorry. You know, no. uh -uh. So, um, and again, I went to research and I looked at what could work, what could change the brain, what could change the body. And, you know, and, and, you know, sometimes people say, I'm not asking you to do what I do. Yeah. People, I wish people were more integrative, but you start someplace and training is a great way. Like if you want to be an expert in anti-inflammatory diet and bring that to your people, why not? I mean, who's not going to get better from that or, or start with the sleep or start with some basic supplements, right? I mean, my main recommendations for supplements, it's a small group of things that there's lots of evidence behind. Um, and, you know, you mentioned NAC for OCD. I also love inositol. You know, tons of, you know, there's some really nice research studies about it. And, and about two-thirds of people with OCD benefit significantly. So two-thirds <laughs> from a supplement that's an amino acid that's not going to harm them, you know. So I think we really have to start really, you know, pushing the boundaries and, you know, in a way that you're comfortable with and feel good about 
and get training for it, you know? Um, and it, and it's not, you know, just like you, you got a graduate degree. You're, you're a rock star. You're a smart person. This is just opening your mind and widening it to the possibilities. Because if your client doesn't have regulation of the nervous system, man, talk therapy is hard, you know? And a lot of times you think, oh, well, this person needs inpatient or they need psychiatric medication and they go down there and they don't really get better either. And so we have to think, is there inflammation? Is there infection? Is there a physical problem? Maybe it is PTSD. Maybe that's really what's dysregulating their nervous system. But even people with PTSD can have nervous systems regulated. So um, I do a lot of work with PTSD. If I didn't say this before, I did um, as one of nine approved providers of Sandy Hook. I've done 9-11 work and have had a life, you know, three decades of experience, uh, a privilege of helping people who've experienced horrible traumas get better. So, um, you know, it's all about calming the brain and there's many ways to skin that cat. And that the brain is part of the body. And I think that's, I, I really hope that our field is moving in a direction of more integration between body and mind um, be, because of the research that you're sharing with us. Um, and like the, just because I think it's interesting, I'm going to share it. One of the primary risk factors for the development of schizophrenia, and you probably know this, Dr. Roseanne, what is it? Uh, actually, it's a it's having infectious disease, and um, how many people have come to me with Bartonella? Uh, actually, so um, so I will treat people with psychosis who have infectious disease as their basis, right? Um, and but you know they've never been able to pin down because of the genetic studies, the twin studies never really can have a strong genetic causality. But many people, for people who don't know what Bartonella is, it's a parasitic tick-borne infection. And it like loves to get in the brain. And one of the not, you know, not so uncommon components of it is psychosis. And so when I get a young person with psychosis, the first question I ask is, do you have a stretch mark rash on you anywhere. And, you know, we pre-screen and we know that they do and they come in and, and that is a sign of the parasites in the skin. And you can Google Bartonella rash and it's good for you. They often appear on the trunk, on the back, and um, they look different than weight loss stretch marks. There's a similarity, but once you start to see it, you start to recognize that they also can be in the back of the knees, but they generally are on the upper body, you know, um, and it's not schizophrenia. It's a tick-borne infection that can be caused psychosis that can be relieved with proper treatment. And that's what I think is really important. So when you look at the research, we're learning about the, sorry for cat owners, that cat owners are more likely to get toxoplasmosis and barnellosis yes. and these other bacteria and, and microbial exposures that put them at risk of these, you know, neuropsychiatric symptoms, quote unquote, neuropsychiatry. And I'm, like I said, I'm really hoping we're getting to the point where we can bring these two worlds together because talk therapy is not going to fix an infection if that infection hasn't no. been caught and treated, or if there's an undertreated autoimmune disorder causing systemic inflammation. Um, you mentioned about um, inflammation and neurofeedback. 
in one of your examples. Yeah. So tell our listeners a little bit more about kind of this brain, brain-based integrative work that is not medical, but is uh, complementary to ther- therapy. Yeah. So, you know, we talked about calming the brain. So, you know, the just if your brain isn't regulated, the body is not going to be able to process language, pay attention, take action. It's also not going to be able to heal itself if it has an infection. So a lot of people with infectious disease come to me because whether they're getting proper care or not, but usually they are treatment resistant in some way. And in every single case, 100% of the time, you have somebody who is experienced a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, maybe PTSD, maybe they have OCD, maybe they have depression now. So there's something that is really causing that autonomic nervous system to be in an extremely activated state. And psychoimmunology tells us when you're stress activated, your resources will go to the um, unknown stressor and it will ignore... um, known infections because it's trying to figure out why is your nervous system so activated. And so this is why I use tools like neurofeedback, biofeedback, and PEMF because what these tools do is they regulate the brain, they regulate the autonomic nervous system, and they get it to come down into a parasympathetic state or at least out of the fight, flight, or freeze. And you're resources, your neurotransmitters, your immune system, all those components are not able to move away from that unknown stressor. I, I, I'm, I'm sure I used the analogy before in our another other podcast, but it's like saying you're at, you know, um, you're, you're camping, your troops are camping and you're able to go back to the barracks and go back to base and have all those luxuries and everything's working well. And that's what tools like neurofeedback, which is direct brainwave retraining, and you're, you're using operant conditioning to reinforce the brain to get into a regulated state. PMF is low frequency hertz where you're using frequency ther- um, treatments to reinforce the cells to communicate properly. What does PEMF stand for? Oh, it's pulse electromagnetic frequency training. So it's based on... Uh, Frequency therapy is used in a lot of different ways. And actually frequencies, we use it in food science where we know the frequency of everything. So for example, if you ever see the words natural flavorings on a food product, what it is is goop with the frequency of that flavor attached to it. And your brain knows like, oh, that's strawberry. Boom. It occurs at that frequency. It's very interesting. So PEMF sends a a low frequency hertz to the cell, disrupts cellular communication, then comes in with a corrective communication. It's pretty darn cool. And then the cells start working properly. So, and then it also reduces inflammation, which improves detoxification. So another big mental health thing, and then getting it down into that relaxed parasympathetic state. So I'm super into it. I mean, I use PEMF every single day. Um, And not that I haven't done a boatload of neurofeedback and biofeedback, I benefited from them all. We all need to counter stress. Um, So for people who have infectious disease, who have mental health issues, we there are other ways, right, to get our nervous system down. These um, tools that I just mentioned, neurofeedback, 10,000, over 10,000, that tens of thousands of research studies, 3,000 peer-reviewed, 
PEMF is newer. It's 30 years old, <laughs> um, but it has some really nice research associated with it. And biofeedback, you know, it's it's a, it's highly accepted and it's a way to, um, there's different kinds of biofeedback, but you're consciously controlling an autonomic function. Uh, a lot of therapists use heart math. So you sync your breath with your heart rate. Uh, I started doing heart math when with my youngest when he was like two and a half, you know, even just for moments to really get your breath regulated is a super evidence-based way to calm your nervous system. And it's free. <laughs> and nobody has an excuse that they can't do it. And I feel like breath work Every therapist should be talking and, and role modeling and asking our clients to report on breath work. Um, and yes, some people may be resistant and incapable or they might have OCD related to body sensations, but there are other ways to regulate the nervous system. But 90% of your clients can handle breath work, if not more. And it's an easy, easy add-on that every therapist should be teaching their clients about. You just covered so many important big things and I want I I to go in there and break it down. So neurofeedback, we've talked about before on the podcast. So take a look at, at our past episodes. And for listeners who are new to it, it's really the idea of, and Dr. Roseanne, you're the expert on this, not me, um, of gaining more control over what used to be autonomic functions. Yep. So you're, you're, you're teaching the subconscious brain. Yeah. You're using technology, your brain, you're really simply, if you can visualize a person in front of a computer and your, your practitioner has set a protocol, I'm leaving out a lot of steps, but I'm just going to make it super easy. And you're in front of a computer, you have to push down most of the time, push down one brain wave, increase another. And you're going to get reinforced, visual and auditory reinforcement, your subconscious brain, when you do that, your brain is able to do that within two to three seconds. The whole point of that is to take your brain from a dysregulated state, whether it's underactive or overactive, and neurofeedback works at the structural level, like, oh, I'm going to do frontal lobe training, but it also works at a brain communication level where you're really looking at the neural networks, right? And neural networks can be impacted at any point. You're getting reinforced for producing a healthy combination of brain waves, and neurofeedback takes time. Most people need, I mean, it's at least 20 sessions, but I would say most people do 40 sessions. And it really produces lasting change according to research over time. And it's used from everything from anxiety anxiety to ADHD to pain. Um, there's lots of different research that supports it because it's so many of our conditions that we're facing are about dysregulated brain states. And neurofeedback is just a really easy way um, to do it. it. It does take time, just like therapy, right? It doesn't happen overnight, but it really pulls, it gets the brain working properly, but it also really regulates that nervous system. And with that regulated autonomic nervous system, that's when you really can start to really do the work in therapy. I mean, you know, so many, I feel like that's just a trend. Not that I didn't have anxious parents 30 years ago, but today I just feel like they're just so concerned and in situations or at such a crisis level, right? 
they wait for it to be such a crisis level or they didn't know because their kid is hiding it so well that by the time people come to me, they are in such dire straits that even the parents don't hear me. You know, they're just so activated. So a lot of times I work on a whole family, um, but neurofeedback works at that subconscious level. And like I said, biofeedback is conscious and PMF just works on the body level. It just does the work for you. You don't need, you know, it's like, you know, my tagline is become anywhere, anytime, because it's just a little device that you can pop in your pocket. Some are mats. Uh, we also have at our center, like a big unit where you have to lay there and people sleep for an hour and a half while they get hooked up. So there's different kinds and they, they all are great and they just do different things depending on the frequencies that are admitted. I think the introduction of these devices is really interesting in our field. Um, and for so many years, biofeedback, neurofeedback, we had talked in that prior episode about you know how much of these things cost, but now things are becoming more mainstream. I was talking with a client recently about a device that you put, like it's kind of like a plastic headband um, that you put over your eyebrows. Yep. And in this case, um, this particular device, when you are essentially in a guided meditative state, when you are producing good brain waves, and all of this is kind of without your conscious awareness, if you will. I mean, you're, you're working on trying to focus. If you're doing a good job at it, then you hear little birdies chirping. And if you're doing a bad job, then you hear like the clapping of thunder. And so when Dr. Roseanne talks about the reinforcement, that's what she's referring to. So in that case, it's auditory. Um, but they're really interesting concepts. And I've had clients ask me about them. I've referred them to clients. Like there's a really cool one that I've stumbled on with children called Mightier, which is an app where oh, it's really cool. Great. Where the, where the, um, it's an app on an iPad or a tablet and the child wears a wristband or an armband that is capturing their heart rate. And then the basically they're playing a video game that's responsive to their heart rate. And when they get too keyed up, yeah. it turns red and it starts shaking. And then they have to deep breathe in order to turn it blue so they can play again. It's it's really interesting science. But I, I'm glad you bring up kind of these complementary pieces. One of the other things that I was thinking about and want to ask you about, tell me more. Um, something I've just stumbled on myself is um, red light therapy and also um, sad lamps. I've, I have, as we speak, I have a sad lamp sitting right here. I was in an office many years ago that had no windows and I was losing my mind. And so I ended up learning about that. But these are things that a lot of folks might not learn about or have ever heard about. So if you could share some of these kind of life hack mental health things. Yeah. Yeah. And there's lots of cool stuff. And I hang out with a ton of biohackers. Don't be afraid of biohackers. They're, they're hacking into their body to have better quality lives. And um, it's, it's just so fascinating once you really open this door and how much your life can improve and the quality for even elderly people. You know, I have some really active elderly people in my personal life. But the the light boxes you're talking about stuff that's been around decades right and so you know we think of them mostly for seasonal affective disorder lots of wonderful research to show their efficacy but you know how does light impact the brain well first of all um we are with so much technology usage and being uh, exposed to blue light it is disrupting our melatonin and that is impacting our circadian rhythms. So by exposing yourself to light during certain times, particularly the morning, 
So like that would be a really good time to use it. We're cueing our brain to get an appropriate circadian rhythm. And there are so much research about the link between circadian rhythm and behavior, but the light box, which is literally a box with light, <laughs> um, is known to improve seasonal affective disorder and improve mood. And it's not that hard to do, but you can also mimic those effects. I know, oh, I mean, I hate this whole darkness in the morning thing It's and later in the day, but I, with my uh, youngest who's up that early, as soon as the light comes in, we sit in front of the um, patio door and we get light. You know, as little as, you know, five or 10 minutes can really shift your mindset, help you to awaken, and most importantly, get back on track for sleep. So how do you feel when you do the the light box? You, you did it back in the day, but I did you still, ever just turn I, it on? It was on this morning. It's sitting right next to my monitor as we record this. Um, because for me, it just helps me feel more alert. Uh, and it if I don't have the opportunity to be outside and go on a walk and get that light into my retina, it's it's a way to do it that's rather inexpensive. Um, but I, I mean, I think that's part of why this conversation is great to have because there's so many really cool devices out there that are inexpensive and can make a huge difference in people's lives. Um, huge. So when yeah. Dr. Roseanne talks about a light box, the one that I have, so it's, it's a particular wave of light that you want to use to get into your retina to kind of stimulate how your brain is working to help adapt your circadian rhythm. They're available widely now online and at brick and mortar stores. Oh, absolutely. They're on and Amazon too has them. So, you know, I mean, you just have to Google it. And and then you mentioned red light therapy, you know, which I have a red light sauna in my house. I'm just saying. Which actually I wanted to ask <laughs> you about that as well. I've seen a lot. So talk yeah. about red light and then I want to talk about saunas and also cryotherapy. So let's go over there for a minute too. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm not, I'm going to tell you I haven't done cryotherapy. I was talking about it this morning with my 12 year old, by the way, but um, my friends do it all the time um, and I'm not doing it. <laughs> I hate the cold. It's just, it's just not happening. It's too cold. So, I'm gonna say, no, they always try to get me in, into it too. Like we, you know, I, we do crazy nerdy things. Like we go to places where it's like these, these uh, health spas that have all these things. And then we all do different things. And I'm like, I'm not going into cryotherapy. It's not happening. So, um, but I, I put me in the hot sauna. I'm, I'm there. So red light. So what is it about? And why does it help? It's, these are methods of detoxification. So anything that's going to support, um, reducing inflammation. So the diet, and then there's a whole other component to detoxification strategies. You know, everything from adding certain herbs like cilantro and parsley. Um, and, and why do so many people have problems with detoxification? We should talk about that. One, there's a lot of toxins in the world. <laughs> Way more than we grew up, you know, plastics, carpeting, all these things. Um, and we have an increased infectious disease and we also have live high stress lives and stress interferes with detoxification for a variety of reasons. But we also have a massive uptick in genetic mutations, including MTHFR um, and some other ones like Comat that are all related to mental health. And they, MTHFR, you're lacking enzymes to process the B vitamins. And one of the most significant is 
folate. And folate is needed in the methylation process and that ability to get rid of gunk that comes through our environment. Um, and so when we add things like red light, um, uh, you know, walking, which helps with lymphatic drainage or people go for massage. These are things that people are like, wow, I feel a lot better. Um, I have MTF, MTHFR. It's a very common genetic mutation and I'm a poor detoxifier. So I have to drink detox tea daily. I, you know, I do the sauna, I do this, I do all these things that I incorporate in my lifestyle. I spend quite a bit of my time explaining detoxification to every one of my patients and asking, you know, and just giving them a list of here are lifestyle components. And most people, and it's part of my intake, what do you, you know, my people that are educated, like I'm like, I ask, what are the detoxification tools you're using? Um, so I think it's important. And, and red light is very much becoming popular. And sometimes they have red light PEMF mats where they're combined. So very interesting components. So in my sauna, which is red light, I put in Himalayan salt blocks because Himalayan salt is a detoxifier. It's a detoxifier of the lungs, the body. Um, and I think in the world of COVID, we need as much lung detoxification <laughs> as, as we can get, right? You know, um, and these are things like not every one of your client is going to be able to do these things. But, you know, there's such a variety. And I love that you know, I know people ask me every day, like, oh, do you know about this type of technique? Or do you know about this tool? Um, and you can say, I don't know, but I'm really interested. Let me write down that name and Google it, right? That's how you learned about Mightier, I bet. I actually learned about it from another parent. Another parent mentioned it. And then I was like, I need to do some research. Let me learn about this. And then it actually became something that we started using in our therapy practice and then started recommending to clients. And it is it's a great tool. Oh, it it's biofeedback. It's really amazing. And yeah. it, and considering how expensive some of these things particularly used to be, um, these services like apps or these devices make things much easier. I mean, you you touch on it briefly, but breath work, mindfulness, these other things that help regulate the nervous system that before used to be a thing you had to go someplace to do. And now you go to YouTube and it's free <laughs> and you find somebody's voice that you like. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, mindfulness-based stress reduction techniques, there was a big research study that just came out that said is as effective as psychiatric medication in the reduction of anxiety and depression. Which were side effects. <laughs> Hello. You know, and, and, you know, sometimes people say, I can't do it or my kid's not going to do it. I'm like, bologna and cheese. Let's do it. Come on. Let's do it together. You know what I mean? So that's what I love about working with kids because they tell me no. I'm like, no, this is what's going down. We're doing it. And, you know, I, I like to have fun. So, you know, I like to, you know, if anybody who, who works with kids, you got to like to have a good time and they're going to eat you alive, you know? So... <laughs> So, you know, usually they know it comes from a good place and, you know, and then you negotiate, you know, here, here's your menu, here's your menu. And that's what this conversation is about, you know, and, and, you know, there's so much out there and I don't want client, you know, if you're listening, I don't want you to be overwhelmed, find a place to start that is aligned with you. 
right? So I'm really into exercise. Well, start talking to your kids about the mental health benefits of exercise. You know, uh, you know, at home, start integrating it and then get expert at it and bring it in with your clients. And, you know, we just know so much about the positive impact of physical activity on mental health. Why are we not having those conversations? You're not a health coach. You're not a gym coach. But you could talk to them about exercising and walking or, you know, getting on a trampoline. I mean, how many times did I talk to a parent about, I must have sold 1,000 mini trampolines in my life. Like, because I'm like, you got a trampoline? We need a trampoline for this kid with ADHD. Before he goes to school every morning, he's trampolining. What's your favorite song? Oh, this is my favorite song. Okay, every day, Dr. Rose says, we're getting, you're going to trampoline for three and a half minutes to, um, you know, Teo Cruz Dynamite. You know, so, and and then the parents are like, wow, so much better. Yeah, okay. We got energy disbursement. We got lymphatic drainage. You know, we're, we're you know, laughing. We're c- cutting stress and behaviors go down, you know? And I think these are the conversations that need to happen. And it can happen when we really dig deep and become that, you know, Encyclopedia Britannica for them, you know, because they trust us, you know? Yes. And I also think it's a matter of conveying accurate information. And there is so much misinformation out there. So it's on us to make sure that when we're looking these things up, that we're looking at credible sources and actual real studies that are not funded by whatever company is producing whatever that product is, and to really look at this with a critical eye to go back to the um, studies class that I'm sure that all of us at some point took where we had to learn how to critically evaluate research and literature and go back to that. um, Because I think it opens up a realm of possibility that is so much bigger than just therapy. And I've had that conversation with clients, like therapy is one thing in your toolbox. Let's talk about the other things in your toolbox. And I think through the course of this interview, named at least a dozen. Um, So just to kind of recap, Dr. Roseanne talked about sleep hygiene, diet, exercise, um, looking at uh, microbiome. We have a great episode about that. We also talked about neurofeedback, biofeedback, PEMF, mindfulness, meditation, different kinds of lamps. There's so many things out there that we can be doing to um, support our clients outside of therapy and even potentially in therapy. Um, Thank you for joining us for this hour and just scratching the surface. And I like what you said about, you know, learn about it, try it yourself. That's certainly what we've done. Like when we learned about Mighty, we're like, let's try this. Um, (laughs) Try it. And it's got to be alignment with who you are. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to recommend something if you don't believe in it. And, you know, if you're a niche practitioner, dive into, you know, what are the things that really support anxiety or depression, whatever your niche is and, and start there. And, you know, again, if you can test these things out and and do that and bring it to the table and, and be open, even if you're not recommending it, like people, I only talk about evidence-based approaches, right? But when somebody comes to me and they're like, Hey, I'm working with an energy worker and they're doing this. And I'm like, do you feel better? Yes. Great. Got the Dr. Rose seal of approval. So, you know, don't poo-poo things if it's, it's something you don't know. You can also say, I'd like to learn more about that. You know, um, I can't tell you how many times clients come to me and they're like so excited that their therapist really validated 
what their journey is and is supportive and how much that means to them, you know? Um, and it doesn't mean you can't ever like, you know, I'm not a fan of certain therapies. And I tell my clients like the research doesn't support it, but I trust you're going to know what works best for you. But I like them to know um, what the research is. But, you know, so I hope like we did talk about a dozen or more things in here and I am obviously easily excitable. And please know I've just done a boatload of research on these things. In my book where I discuss these things, there's 40 pages of research citations. Um, and so, you know, there are some of them are promising research. Some of them are peer reviewed. We have to keep an open mind research when things start out like EFT tapping, you know, there, there isn't a big meta-analysis. It hasn't been around long enough, right? It's also evolved into different variations that make it hard to research. But we have to then say, well, let's look at these pilot studies. And, you know, and, and again, integrating what works for you is the best place to start. Thank you so much, Dr. Roseanne. Can you please uh, tell our listeners how to learn more about you and about some of the things that you've discussed today and your work? Yeah. So the best way to find me is on my website or my podcast, which you can get to both through the same place, but www.drrosanne.com. Uh, you can learn about my work and forward slash podcast. And just so you know, I have a podcast called It's Going to Be Okay, which is the thing I tell every parent. And that's my book too. And it's a uh, po podcast for parents that I want them to find natural solutions for mental health. And it's short episodes. And it's really designed for people whose kids are struggling because this is a time when everybody needs a lifeline. And I wanted to give them approaches that work. So I'm really glad that... Um, that it's been super well received and, you know, it is bringing hope and a path for people. Fantastic. Thank you again for joining us. It's always wonderful to have you. Thank you. You've just finished listening to another exclusive continuing ed podcast by Clearly Clinical. If you like what you just heard and you need continuing ed credits, please visit us at clearlyclinical.com to check out our one-year membership where you'll have access to our growing library of continuing ed podcast courses. Clearly Clinical, where our goal is to help you learn, grow, and shine.